we are living in this age where we just, we cancel people and do they deserve to be canceled? Maybe, but is that the answer? Like are people's actions, is that the end of the story that you could do something that you're just off the map? Is there something that you would rather be doing? Is there somewhere you would rather be living? I'm Kat Caldwell-Myers, and if this is you, I totally get you. I have lived a lot of my life in those states, and I've done a lot of work around understanding what drives us in the adventure paradox, why we don't do the thing we're really called to do, and what happens when we do or discover that thing is right here, right now. Let's go. Hello, family. I'm Kat Caldwell-Myers. Welcome back to The Adventure Paradox. I have with me today some very special guests. I am so excited to welcome (laughs) two of you today. And I know you're coming in from different places, and you are our first filmmakers ever to come onto the podcast. Oh, and I am love it. thrilled. I got to watch your film last night, Unpacking. It was amazing. I can't wait to unpack it. I watched it with my husband and we were laughing and on the verge of crying through the whole thing. Um, maybe we'll have to do some sort of virtual screening or something. And I definitely want to make sure people know how they can watch your film. But first of all, who are you? Where in the world are you coming in from? Let's start with Alexandra and then McCall. Absolutely. We're so happy to be here with you today, Kat. I am streaming in from Los Angeles, California. I live here with my small dog, who is the happy part of every day. (laughs) I'm a filmmaker, and I've been working in the indie sphere in one capacity or another as a director, creative producer, etc. for about 12 years now. Yeah. Love that. And, <laughs> but this is my first feature. This is my first feature as a co-director, producer. We're also writers, actors in it. And yes, and it was like a, a huge new endeavor. Yes. Oh my gosh. What an adventure. Tell us a little bit about your dog. What's your name? <laughs> like we're, we're animal, you know, animals are very popular on our podcast. So tell us a little about your dog and the bright spot of your day. Oh my gosh. I mean, getting a dog sort of, this is such a career that like wanders all over the map and some months I'm really busy and some months I'm not. And getting a dog gave my life structure. My dog is a, a super mutt. Technically, he's a mix of so many things. He's 25 pounds of joy. He's like a dark chocolatey brown with light brown accents, little eyebrows. And he stands on his hind legs and pumps his little hands together like he's like pumping dynamite. So he's named Roo like a kangaroo. (laughs) And he just loves life, man. He loves every dog. He loves every person. He loves snacks. McCall's husband, Joseph, came up with his alter ego, which we lean into a lot, which is Mr. Crumbly. Just always looking for a snack because he's such a good boy. He could just have a crumb. (laughs) (laughs) Please, Mama, just a taste. (laughs) I love it. I love it. How old is he and how long have you had him? He's eight years old and I got him when he was three. And I got him from this wonderful rescue in Los Angeles called The Real Bark. And he was really injured at the time. So nobody was adopting him from the pound. He had been hit by a car and had this big oozing wound on his face and a punctured salivary gland. And he was a mess, but they saw his sweetheart and pulled him out of the pound and were like, this is going to be the best, like sweetest little animal if you have the patience to sort of nurse him back into health. And he was in a cone for the first six months I had him. It was quite a messy journey, but it really bonded us. And yeah, he's an excellent companion. He's honestly, we're like so in tune now. I can really take him places. I meet up with family friends in the summer at this lodge in the woods, and he can pretty much just live off leash for two days because he's so good at checking in with me now, knowing what's acceptable behavior, just wants to hang out, be part of the crowd, <laughs> enjoy <Yeah>. life. <laughs> yep, yep. He's your dog. Amazing. Yeah. Ooh, Mr. Crumbly. So I want to <laughs> go to McCall in a second, but my 
question that came through this morning is what is your real world animal? It sounds like you're a dog person, right? And then also what would be your spirit animal and why? What a beautiful question. Yeah, I'm such a dog person. And I move between what my spirit animals are, honestly, depending on the season and time of year. But I have a close girlfriend here and we did this sort of meditation exercise years ago. And my spirit animal is like a big winged tiger. (laughs) Oh, winged tiger. In that sphere, yeah, it's sort of like an amalgamation of a few things, but it have had to really learn to not lean into some people-pleasing tendencies and to own my voice and to own my strength. And I really do know my own opinion when I take the space to stand in it. And I love the energy of the tiger for being strong and observant and really in its power, but not in a showy way. <laughs> wow. Okay. We're, we're going to circle back to that one. That's, that's, that's some juicy stuff. But now, winged tiger. <laughs> Let's head over to your directing and producing partner, McCall. Will you please introduce yourself? Tell us where you're coming from. And then also, because we haven't talked about this yet, how did the two of you meet each other? Okay, great. Hi, I'm McCall Sennett. I'm a filmmaker as well. I'm a multi-hyphenate, so i writer, producer, actor. I am in New York City right now. I'm actually in the midst of a move. Um, my husband and I are buying a house in the country, so we're like, this, this corner of the world looks great, but everywhere else, my world is like, the house is in wild chaos. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But yeah, we've had this house for 20 years. And so it's like an enormous move. And gosh, Alexandra and I met in a female filmmaking collective about eight years ago here in New York. We met in New York. And then we both lived in Los Angeles together uh, when we were first conceiving of our film together. And then in post-production, I moved back to New York. I was bi-coastal for like a decade and then came back about three years ago to New York. But yeah, we met in this wonderful collective called Film Fatales. And it's like a bunch of badass women that Mm. uh, are making content, making films and and television. And so that's, that's how we met. And we both really just I don't know. I think we just really liked each other and and had a sense that we could make something together. And so I had gone to, maybe we knew each other about, I don't know, what, two years, Alexandra, before we embarked on this, would you say? I guess it was eight years ago, maybe three years, like before we mm-hmm. embarked on it. Yeah. So knew each other sort of as- But not in, in the deepest way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We really honestly dove in. <laughs> we dove in on this and we got to know each other making this movie. I mean, we're friends for sure by the, t- like before we embarked on this, but we were largely colleagues and we just, I think as multi-hyphenates had the sense that we would like to work on something together in multiple capacities. And I don't know, I guess had a sense that we had a shared aesthetic on some level. I mean, it was a lot of, I think, intuition that went into our desire to work together and knowledge that we could maybe do that. And my husband and I was working as a flight attendant at the time that I conceived of like maybe making a project in Bali. My husband and I had gone the year before to mainland Indonesia, who's also a producer on our project and also our third writer. And we visited his cousin who's doing the Peace Corp. And so we spent a couple days in Bali surrounding that trip. And I really just fell in love with it. And I thought this would be a great backdrop for a potential story that Alexandra and I could do together. And so I left her a message, a voicemail, conceiving and proposing this idea that we reach out to some colleagues and friends to see if they wanted to make like a shared vacation project together to get a movie off the ground in a way that felt immediate in a way that felt like we could do it in the now rather than just having it be 
sort of toiling away at how to raise the funds for something, which is so much of what being a filmmaker is. It's the producing financial side of it, which is as a creative can be kind of exhausting and soul sucking and the opposite of what you want to be doing when it comes to creating. So that's what we did. We sent an email out to 40 friends and colleagues and 15 people said yes, and 12 ended up going. And that was the beginning of this wild adventure that we've gone on that has resulted in unpacking, which you saw last night. Okay. Okay. So juicy. Before we dive into (laughs) the animal question for you, McCall, I Mm. want to know, Alexandra, when you got this message from McCall, like what happened for you when when you heard (laughs) this? And I love that you talk about conceiving of this idea. I recently birthed Mm. my book baby. So like, I totally understand that you're suddenly filled with this creative possibility, this energy of something that you want to make. And especially if you're making it with others, right? So that first Mm. call though, that first ask, what was it like to get that message, Alexandra? Well, I will say I'm terrible with messages. So it took me a couple days to check voicemail. If you want to reach me immediately, shoot me a text. Which I didn't know at the time. I didn't know how she worked. Nice. nice. So finally I was like, oh yeah, I have this message from McCall. And I listened to it and I was like, oh my gosh, it was so warm, so excited, just sort of pumping with energy. And I remember listening to it in my little shared front garden and just like, bursting into a smile because I was feeling really creatively stagnant and I had moved to Los Angeles and I'd had a wonderful network of independent filmmakers. I'd been making a web series in New York and several films in the last year and was just, yeah, feeling so sort of unmoored out here. I didn't have people to make things with in that way. And that's sort of the only way that I've known how to make things. It's like many hats from the ground up. So I was thrilled. And then I pretty quickly escalated it because I had made shorts and I had made web series and I was like, let's go for a feature. (laughs) And so we're very like, yes, and with each other. There's not a lot of shutting down. There's a lot of like, well, let's try it. Well, let's leap big. And I think that answers it, but (laughs) it totally answers it. And I think you just gave us another clue, which was McCall, did you have the idea of a feature or did you just have the idea of let's go and and create something? And then Alexandra, did you bring in the let's make it a feature idea? Hey, Kat here for a quick commercial break. If you haven't heard my book, The Adventure Paradox is available on Amazon, and it's been getting some really amazing reviews. It's actually been a little bit overwhelming uh, and maybe too much to say in the middle of this interview, so we'll get back to it, but I did want to let you know it is available. It was a bestseller in six categories, and if you really enjoy this podcast, I think you will really enjoy this book, so please go check it out. I think I did have the idea of a feature, but I definitely also was willing to go more experimental, less like mainstream. Alexandra really upped the ante in on the production side of things. And I think that I just wanted to make something from a creative perspective. I did not think that I would be on this journey with her five years later. (laughs) I had another project that I'd been working on for like almost a decade at the time that I still couldn't, you know, had not gotten off the ground. I had like done some filming of it in Tanzania and I had raised a large amount of money, like by the standards of this one for development, but it's still, I don't know. I think I just knew how much work it was to get something at the level that we have brought this to the world. And so I guess I I also, I think it's both a, you talk about paradox. I think I have the, both the blessing and curse of not like, I'm sort of a person that operates a little bit on intuition and like jumping in and then not really knowing like, oh my God, the depth, like the below me, I'm just like, let's go for it. And I'm not one of those people that was like, I don't know. I just dive in. And then I'm like, Oh my God, the water's deep, you know? (laughs) And so 
Uh, it was a little bit that, I mean, it's not like I don't think before I act, but I do largely go, it's like a gut, like I'll have a gut instinct for something. And I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And I don't have a lot of, I don't wrestle a lot with like what to do. I'm just like, no, this is the path. And I also don't really have regrets in that way. It's very rare that I have, like, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I largely stand by my choices, but they are like, it's a diving, you know, you're probably going to ask me anyway. I'm thinking about like, when you ask the question about animals, I think mine is like a dolphin Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm such a water person. I, I come from a long line of sailors and writers and I'm very comfortable in the water. And I just like this idea of, I don't know, just this image of diving like in and out. And so <clears throat> I think that I didn't entirely think through how much work it would be to create something. Or I don't think you can entirely know how hard it is to make a movie until you've made a movie. It's like, I'm not a parent, but all my friends that are, it's like, that is the biggest deep dive you can do probably in life when it's relentless, but it's also so joyful and it's all the things, right? But I think we would not do half the things that we sign up for if we were to look at all the things that go with it. But at the same time, once you do something, that's who you become and it shapes who you are and you can't go take it back. And so all you can really do is focus on the gratitude or you're just going to go in the opposite direction. So it's been such a joy, but it also has been like a tremendous, you know, it's like a five-year project and we're still going. Totally <laughs> understand that. And yeah. Just to to finish the question, what would your spirit animal be? Yeah. So outside of a dolphin, I think some sort of bird. I'm also, I think it's like a water creature and it's perhaps it's a dolphins are also really playful. I think I have like a real eternal kid energy that I think serves me and they're also helpful. And I don't know, I feel like they're like I always think of dolphins as like do-gooders, you know, and they're like, you hear about stories of dolphins saving people. And I don't know, I don't think I'm like trying to save anyone, but I do think I have big things I want to do in this world and like a desire to lead with my heart. And then in, in terms of birds, I always have been taken with birds. I notice them. I feel like birds notice me. I know that sounds weird. I don't know if there's this good energy that exists between me and birds and I feel it. Mm. And I don't really like the idea of having a bird because I think that feels wrong to have any like a bird in captivity. Although I will say that we do actually have chickens. They're my husband's chickens, but chickens don't really fly. So it feels like different than like caging something that really flies feels utterly wrong to me. Chickens are, they almost need, they're sort of been become domesticated where if they live in the wild, they're probably going to get killed. So it's a different thing, but yeah. So birds in the sense of, I don't know, finches or just birds that can't be, that just want to see the world and want to discover and explore. And yeah. So those two animals I think are love it in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was walking today, Thinking about our interview, I saw two hawks. One was a, a juvenile eagle, which means they're not white yet. And they are a lot bigger than red-tailed hawks. Like eagle might be about this big and red-tailed hawk might be more like this big. But yeah, I definitely, and I was doing some work with reading a book called Broken about an Arapaho paraplegic horse trainer. And he was talking about eagles and their spiritual connection to the Arapaho, but also that they see right through to your soul. And I feel as creatives, putting out the call to say, let's create something and who wants to come together and take this journey. It is an immediate soul quest, the people who signed up for it. And then I love the idea that birthed that you made into this movie, Unpacking, of taking this adventure, taking this journey and doing this soul retreat. Who wants to share where that idea came from and just sort of a quick synopsis of the film? I'll let Alexandra take this one because I just feel like I gave you a mouthful and it's (laughs) nice to take turns. Unless you don't want to. I don't want to put you on the spot either. (laughs) No, I'm happy to. Okay. So Unpacking is about a group of six women who follow an Instagram guru to Bali to face their inner demons. And this was basically born out of, we sent this email out to a pretty diverse group of people 
and we knew Bali was the location and the uh, response we got from our friends and collaborators of people interested in being actors was uh, all white women. (laughs) So we're like, okay, we have a big group of white women. (laughs) What story can we make around this and about that? And having lived in LA, which is also such a sort of wellness epicenter It was so clear that it was going to be a wellness retreat because Bali is sort of the epicenter of wellness retreats. It's a world we're both familiar with. It's a world we think is really ripe to be explored. I also have to say nothing had been really made on this topic when we set out to make this. This was like before Nine Perfect Strangers and White Lotus and like when we were still stuck in our posts collaborator to collaborator remotely sort of all these things came out so we're like cool we were like our movie's gonna come out a little after but we were like just at the start of that zeitgeist wave of this is an untapped area to be explored because we have this culture where people are disconnected and people are lonely and we've lost a lot of our traditional meeting centers and I think the wellness industry has stepped in to sort of you like pay to play, you pay to find community Mm. and to have somebody lead you into deeper conversations because we've lost a lot of structure to know how to do that on our own anymore. And that's how, (laughs) that's how it came about. Fascinating. And then the story itself, because I read your press release talking about, you sort of let the actors kind of choose some piece of the narrative for themselves, or did you I'll put it together. How did that co-creation work a little bit? Yeah. So we obviously reached out to friends and colleagues. So everyone that we reached out to, we knew on some level, no one was a stranger coming into this. There were a couple of people that came on board later in the process that we didn't know ahead of time, but that initial email and those initial people that signed on to be a part of, everyone became a producer on the project. So they're producers first and then so, so they did have a hand in shaping it. And we also knew that there were going to be so many elements that we couldn't control going to a foreign country, shooting in such a short amount of time, having a very limited budget, that in order to ground it and make it feel authentic and not be this, like we wanted to have a deep dive. We don't want to tell stories because of ego. We want to tell stories because they have something to say. And so we really wanted to figure out how, what, you know, within this story, this idea of a wellness retreat, these women are going on, what can we mine within ourselves so that we have something to say? And it felt like the easiest, quickest way to do that would be to dive into each of the actors that signed on. So not portraying them, but Finding some piece of them, you know, I think all act like acting comes from a place of truth, you know, and so to ground it, we asked each of the actors to bring something something close to the bone. Yes. Bring something of themselves or something they wanted to share or some vulnerability that we felt, you know, that, that they wanted to focus on that would give it a depth. And so that gave it like a shape that we wouldn't have necessarily created on our own. And I think filmmaking is such a collaborative art and it does benefit so much from listening to your fellow collaborators and not just having a singular vision that's just yours. So it really was a dialogue. Beautiful. And your characters, because you play sisters, right? You chose to be pregnant and I wondered that was a personal, do you want to share a little bit about each of the characters you chose and like the dynamic? You said close to the bone, Alexandra, of like how you shaped your personal characters. Yeah, I think we wanted topics that we had really done a lot of thinking on or wanted to explore one way or another. And I'm in that phase of life where a lot of my friends are married and having children and going down these life paths. And I was also like a serial monogamist all through my 20s for like a decade. (laughs) And then my 30s, I've been very single. (laughs) So I think I was sort of interested 
and I had thought for a long time, I, I really felt like a calling to be a mother and didn't know how or when that would show up in my life and still don't, but was sort of felt worth exploring. I was also really choosing to focus on my career and focus on development of self in a way that I had never done inside of relationships. I'd put so much energy into the development of my relationships and yeah, coming to understand deeply who I was outside of those was something I was working on. So that's something that I brought to that character where she's like, if you're not going down the path you thought you would go down and you suddenly have to face yourself at another stage, who am I and what does it look like now? And what does the road look like ahead now? And how do we stay honest about that? Because I also think there's a lot of pressure, particularly for women to hit certain benchmarks at certain times and releasing yourself from both internal and external judgment, if you don't take those paths, is worth exploring. <laughs> I love that. And I think the universal resonance of that story for women, right? Where we are and then also where we find ourselves, where we thought we might be, especially when it comes to career or relationship or having children or not having children. Also, you're a cancer survivor, McCall. I don't know if you want to speak on that aspect of your character. Yeah. So that actually was a wild card that presented itself right before production. So I was diagnosed with stage one thymoma three weeks before we went to shoot this film. So that was not part of the initial script. My character, the thing I wanted to explore was also, I wanted, I've been with my husband for a long time. He's also, as I mentioned, a producer on the film and our third writer. And I having children was never really forefront for me, but I was getting to the age where it was like, okay, well, you need to make a decision about this, you know? <laughs> so it felt like a fun, safe way to explore that through character. I feel like I always shift, you know, through the people I play. And so it felt like a worthy thing to explore. And that felt like enough of a story, but then yeah, McCall, got cancer. And because I was wearing so many hats, I mean, co-directed this, was producing it, co-wrote it, and was also in it. It just felt like the elephant in the room that had to be talked about. I didn't want to have to sort of mask or hide. I'm not a very good masker. I really have no poker face. So I knew that I would be... <laughs> Alexandra is like, uh-uh. Which I think really serves me well as a creative. It's both, you know, it's another one of those paradoxes. It's like a blessing and a curse. I think I'm always very authentic, but sometimes I'm overwhelming and I feel things a lot. And so I'm pretty balanced like, yeah, my face is like a mirror of everything, every thought. I have like literally no mask. And I've always cultivated that. I grew up acting. And so it's something I have always cultivated, like not having a mask. And so you can't just turn that mask on. So wearing these hats, I actually came to Alexandra and Joseph and said, I think we need to add this to the film because mm -hmm. it's this thing that I'm going through and I don't want to hide this major thing that I'm going through. I'd much rather be able to explore this on film. And so luckily they were like, yes, let's do that. And so it gave me permission to have all those feelings on screen that I was really going through in the midst of directing a film, which is really the opposite side of your brain from acting. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have the luxury of just focusing on one thing within this. We really had to balance all of these things. And so it felt good to have that be something I didn't have to mask. Incredible. I'm just thinking how brilliant it is. And this is, I don't know if you've heard this saying, but authenticity is the new currency. You know, people mm. want real stories. They want real life. They want real connection, as you were saying. That's why people will pay real money to go on right. big retreats like this. Right. And I mean, it was so powerful, the two sisters talking at sort of, I would say like their deepest dive together when you were saying something could happen to me, right? Mm -hmm. Which is basically every parent's fear at some point is like, yeah. what if something happened to me, then what happens with this? And whether it's a child or your work, 
right? Your legacy, like what's going to happen with what you put out into the world? Where is it going to go? Who's it going to serve? How's that going to work? And we have some control, but this is the great paradox is like, especially once you've released it, you get the great, amazing reviews. And then you get the ones that keep you up at night, right? Of course, there are those. The producer director role, and I love that word you keep using of being a multi-hyphenate. Did I say that right? Yes. I love that. AKA wearing many, many hats, but having the ability to step out of yourself as the character and have the bird's eye view of the whole scene, the whole situation happening, how the characters were developing together and so on. How did you two work together as co-producers, co-directors, and for anyone who might be getting really excited about this idea and wanting to embark on the journey, what words of wisdom or caution would you offer? Oh, so I will say we didn't have long to write this. We maybe spent about six months, right? From inception to filming, yeah, um, which is really short in the development of a film. And in that time, we were all working full time in our lives. So we had like a few weekends and a few evenings and a few like, you know, these really small windows to pull it together. But we really leaned into those times of all getting to be together and from pulling the stories out of our actors and letting them sort of share what they wanted to explore. We mapped out on the wall with a ton of sticky notes, how the whole film was going to work and how each character was going to overlap and come. So we had this map that we both deeply knew and understood before we landed there. And we also knew there was going to have to be a lot of room for flexibility. And because we had a bunch of different stories, that part of the story would be found and formed in the edit, which is absolutely what happened in the film. The movie we set out to make is not at all the movie we made. (laughs) It's a totally different movie, but it's really lovely and special in its own way. We had two actors, like we are, one of our characters changed from one actor to another because of conflicts. One of our actors had a baby and ended up not coming. And you see her on the phone screen because it was too, too tricky to bring like a three week old baby to Bali. (laughs) So we were committed to that sort of go with the flow, but we had these overarching arcs of each character And we were clear on the sort of themes and tone we wanted to explore. And then filmmaking is just wild. It's just like a wild adventure. And you just have to sort of keep going and trust and pray (laughs) that it works out. And I think that's where we found ourselves at the end of the day is there were days where we were like, well, who knows? And now we just kept believing in it all through that post-process and being like, there's something better in here. Let's keep sculpting. Let's keep sculpting. And we really love what we ended up with and yeah, feel so proud of the sort of web of little stories we were able to weave together about very real feeling women and about the importance of needing other people in your life to go through the journey with. Absolutely brilliant. And one character, you know, not to give it away, but there's this character, essentially the villain, right? In in every... (laughs) There's no villains in our movie, but yes, maybe the antagonist. (laughs) Yeah, in in this situation, the one who's like just not having it, right? And I would love to hear a little more again from the bird's eye view of how that developed. And it's so interesting to hear the character on the phone and what the backstory was with that, right? But I'd love to hear just a little bit about that role and then also the point system. We haven't talked about that because it was such a co-creation for the whole group. And I think at a very interesting time in history, as we talked about with the strike, that this is such a unique and important idea for people to hear and maybe consider, right? Mm -hmm. What's possible, especially in situations where it seems nothing is right. And I think one other really strong hit that's coming through about that is the idea of masking. And of course, we all just went through masking. And Mm. that character who's like, I'm just not, no, right? I'm keeping my eyes open when everyone's eyes are closed. I'm not going to sing the song. (laughs) But what's important about 
working together as a group, but also seeing yourself when you're the outlier, whether it's the director or whatever it is. I'm giving like a big download for you to answer, but the point system with the group and then also that villain or antagonist and the role they play. We're going to take a short break and I'm recording this from a beautiful garden, which reminds me so much of my grandma's garden and places where we go so much resonance for us. It's the smell, it's the touch, it's the look, it's the ambiance. And I invite you on a journey to some of my favorite places in my first book, The Adventure Paradox, available on Amazon. It's a bestseller in six categories and has been getting amazing reviews. But more than that, this book is meant in no small way to change your life. And the feedback from my clients and first readers is that it has and will. So you don't want to miss this one. Go check it out. Wow. I think I'll speak to the point system and then maybe Alexandra can speak to Ina, the antagonist in question. I think I have been a part of projects like big big projects out there where there wasn't like most filmmaking is done or TVs, you know, it's, there's this hierarchy where you're not sharing in the wealth of the project. I mean, to a certain extent yet, like that's the kind of the old system. That's why so many strikes in the world are happening, quite frankly, like it's a big time for workers. And I think a big part of that is that big business is benefiting greatly off of the backs of workers and the workers are not seeing the return on that, the return on their investment of their time, their bodies, their energy, their life. What does it mean to give to something that you're not benefiting from outside of the immediate, like maybe hourly you're making? And with the advent of streamers, so much has changed in the last decade and AI and, you know, what's happening in the world. It's a big time for technology and it's also a lot needs to change. And so I think the point system was born a little bit out of that sort of dissatisfaction with the idea of how people make money on projects. And I really very much believe in a world where workers are sharing in the ownership of like a larger project. And so that idea of collectively coming together to do something, I think is a great way to get a first project off the ground. Like if you don't have the money to do it, like maybe you can gather your friends and colleagues together and you can make something. I really believe in the power of the people and the power of the people can do anything. I mean, it's the 1%, they're 1% of us. You know what I mean? Like there is a world that can exist where the 99% are getting what they want because there's more of us, but we all have to collectively come together and announce that and demand it. It's not going to come if we just go with what is the status quo. And so I don't know that we did this perfectly, but we did it in a way that felt that was allowed a project to be born. And I'm really proud that we did that, that we were able to come together to finance, like at least the production side of the project by coming together to collectively make something. And so, yeah, we developed this points system that was based on pre-production, production, post-production, that everyone that went to Bali, including our Balinese actors and also our driver and like fixer, local fixer, who you see briefly in the film, his name is Yadi. There's like a brief moment with him. He was just an integral part of the project, but we collectively formed this group that would basically, it was like a film co-op basically, where all of us would get, when we sell the film, when we find distribution, that all of us will benefit from when this film eventually, God willing, makes a profit. So that was the idea. Amazing. And would you say for yourself, for the group, it sounds like you feel it went great and the point system is working well and you'd recommend doing it the same way or what tweaks would you offer for someone thinking about? I think it went well. Like, I don't know how else we would have done it if we hadn't done it this way. I do think with post-production, it's such a long process 
that there could have been more of a balance for how much work it takes to do the post side of things. Like, you know, we gave it equal measure for everyone that went for 13 days to like the four years after. And there could be some tweaking done in terms of like time versus like stages, I think. But those are all just things that could be worked out and we could be consulting in about. complexity. <laughs> yeah. But all in all, you're never going to do anything perfectly the first time. And I think it's a great way to make a first feature. It's a great way to get a project off the ground with a group of people you trust and that you're willing to go on an adventure with and with nothing really to lose because collectively it's done with a collective time and money so that it's not like such a loss to any one person. So yeah, there'd be some tweaking in the post side of things, but outside of that, I think it's a great model for a first film. I love it so much. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think, I mean, I'm sure this isn't maybe an idea you all are thinking about, but like you could sell this idea to other people and mentor them to do something. Yeah. I mean, we do think there's a world in which we could maybe teach like seminars on this or, and I mean, I don't know, you know, yeah, there's probably ways to monetize it, but, and we'll see. I don't know. It's, it all takes time though. So it's like, where do you spend your energy? I do want to make sure we cover the villain, but it's that that paradox, especially for the creative who's wearing all the hats of yeah. the things that actually light us up and fill us up. I don't know if you're familiar with human design, but I got a human design reading about mm, a year mm-hmm. ago. And I learned that I'm a projector. And what that means is that I can go all in super high energy for about four or five hours. And if I do that for eight to 12, I get really mm. burnt out and I'll end up making myself literally sick. And so I kept wondering, I was like, why do I keep getting this cold? Why do I keep getting a cough? Like, is it long haul COVID? And then I started to tweak what I was doing with my work schedule and my high Mm, output and mm -hmm. also of children, lots of animals, different things we're managing and recognizing what are the things that fill me up? What are the things that deplete me? And I think it's the great paradox for creatives is that especially when you're starting your business or starting you've got to do a lot of hustling often mm-hmm. and learning how to do that hustling and wear hats that maybe you don't love learning how to do the tech stuff, right? Learning how to <laughs> oh, yeah. chase people who are getting back to you, you know, all of that stuff, which this is why I always like to talk about, you know, what's the real world grounding you? And then what's your bird's eye view for for why you're here? Because there's a connection. And so often we're disconnected from those and people are walking around like, oh, it's all laundry, you know? (laughs) And there is laundry, like laundry happens. But the reason you're dragged down by the laundry is because there's this other thing you're not fulfilling. And what is that to connect Mm. with that in some small way, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where your antagonist is such a beautiful demonstration of a person completely disconnected, right? So much so that her partner won't even show up with her. And it's like, deal with yourself. So Mm -hmm. would you speak on that a little, Alexandra? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. I mean, I think that was a really important character to us because these retreats are not without some really problematic components that often get glossed over by the community. And the term we love to use with Ina is the aggressive progressive. And I would say she's like very close to my own heart. She's like a social justice warrior and like she has a lot of really awesome qualities, but it also speaks to this sort of wider issue happening in our country right now where you think you're so enlightened and you think you're so informed and you think all of these things are so inappropriate and you just sort of come at it either in like such a deeply judgmental way that the the divide only grows deeper because you're shaming people and you're making people feel embarrassed and you're making people feel guilty and that is not how we find connection so we we and we i think or you change know, <laughs> yeah or change and it's like what is the journey of being an aggressive progressive, which is like, has its validity and we need strong voices and we need people saying, no, this is not okay. But how do you take that sort of energy and learn to be a bridge builder? And what does that growth look like? And we really wanted to put a character on that journey of like her intentions are not wrong, but her approach is not 
effective. So she really has to come to learn how to take in other people and have conversations and have dialogue and remember that it's a big, complicated world. And honestly, the best way for her to get her message across is probably to just to allow for the dialogue, not to like ram it forward and judge, but open up space and even voice these things. Like there's so much right that's happening in the movie where she's just sort of taking these stances and she never does step aside to be like, hey, I'm having an issue with this. And have you thought about doing it this way? Or have you thought about, and if you're not even making the space for those conversations, you're definitely just going to stay sort of stuck. And there won't be the evolution that we all really need as a society. Yeah, that's that's like a big and continuous journey of mine, because there are certain political topics that make me so hot and upset in this country. And I just want to be like, I have no room for this. This is so cruel and myopic. And it's like not considering so many people and so many issues. And but if I enter a conversation with someone voting on those topics in that way, it's definitely not going to change their vote. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between cancel culture versus call in culture where you, you know, how can we as a society, if this film is touching on themes that we want to, I think every film for me, a film should, you know, it's focusing on an individual story, but what are the larger theme themes? What am I learning from this? I don't think film should be didactic, but I do think good film has messaging in there that that hopefully shifts consciousness and leads to change and helps people think about things or doing things differently. And we are living in this age where we just, we cancel people and do they deserve to be canceled? Maybe, but is that the answer? Like our people's actions, is that the end of the story that you could do something that you're just off the map? Like, what is it to be human, to make mistakes, to learn from our flaws, to grow? And so I want to dialogue with people where I want to be able to make mistakes and say, I'm sorry, and grow from that. And I hope that when I'm at my worst, that I haven't done something so terrible that I'm just not worthy of being talked to or considered or allowed to be in a space with someone, you know? So it's really like those larger themes of, and I think it's about like growing up. I think we're going through this stage in society where we're all kind of, it's not that things don't need to change, but the way that they like are being treated is very, we're having like five-year-old conversations instead of like mature conversations about how to deal with hard things. And really dealing with hard things is not black and white. It's very gray and it's very nuanced. And how do we have those hard conversations when someone fails us or does something really shitty? (laughs) And how do we come out of that and grow from it and learn from it? And so, yeah, it's partially that as well. I'm going to add in one thing here, which is like, you sort of say she is an antagonist, but she's like a needed catalyst for the other characters to Mm -hmm. be looking at the situation in a wider lens to be like, is this appropriative? What are we doing here? What are the issues with this? Because it's very easy to slide into some of these settings and be like, this is great. It's making me feel great. It's all like me, 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 very me centered And, you know, a lot of these trips are done to places and you're not engaging with the culture and you're not engaging with the reality of the place. And we really wanted to show that in our movie. And you could be doing that in Los Angeles. (laughs) And those are also conversations that really need to be happening in that community. And a lot of people are also not bold enough to begin those conversations. So even though she's not doing it in the right way and she's putting in little barbs and little stings, like she is making valid and important points that everyone in that room should be chewing on together and thinking about. And she's the only one that's really doing that, that is thinking outside of her own issues. You know, everyone else is pretty focused on their own stuff and she's thinking more globally and she's thinking more about what matters for society. And does she have the enlightened, like, 
we are equal. We're all one sort of approach to it. No, she is coming from a place of ego and I'm right, like a self-righteousness. But when she can move past that, she's really got the picture. It's not any one thing, like everyone, we, we wanted to raise questions with this film. You know, it's not one thing. It's also, it's not lost on us that the only people that could afford to go on this retreat and do this were all white women. Even within the model, it's flawed. And so we're exploring things that we are guilty of because we, we didn't want to just be tooting our own horns. We wanted to be looking at all the complicated nuances of wellness culture, of who can afford to take the time for these things, all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's the shadow work. Like mm -hmm. it's the great paradox of all of this, you know, mm -hmm, and I love mm -hmm. that you touched on that because that was one of my questions in a a story that just came through that I'm, I'm going to share. So I was river guide in Jackson Hole on the Snake. Oh yeah, cool. I was a guide. Yeah, for about ten years, wow. a lot of different rivers. But my very last trip, and towards the end, you know, you've been taking a lot of different tourists, and it's their first time seeing the river, right? But you're, I was never jaded by the river, but I became quite jaded by the tourists. <laughs> mm. And I'll never forget my last trip. This was. Towards the end of me knowing I was pretty over it and needed to move on and do something else. But I took a family from Boston and you want people to have a little fun, splash water, but also appreciate the nature and stillness of the canyon, right? Maybe see the wildlife, appreciate that there are other boats on the water. They're having their experience. They might be fishing. Well, this group just started screaming at the top of their lungs, we're mass holes, we're from Boston, like really loud. And I couldn't get them to stop. They thought it was funny. Oh, and, it, no. like, and it was like rippling off the canyon walls. And I remember looking at other guides and being like, I'm sorry, like I, I can't control. Should I flip the boat? Like, should I make these guys swim? <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And just like recognizing a, a big part of that industry. And I've worked as a wrangler and so on. It's like the beauty of welcoming people into what is your daily experience with nature and also the great paradox of it, because people are coming in with, they're not dressed right for the situation or they're not mentally, <laughs> they haven't even arrived, right? Mm -hmm. They're still yeah. in Boston. So yeah. I think like, what was so powerful about the way you put the retreat and that bird's eye view of like, what is this thing that's happening? And really ask these questions, profound questions that need oh, to be yeah. asked to like see ourselves in this. Because I think so many people, and you were just talking about this with sort of the five-year-old view or five-year-old explanation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a great business model is if you can't explain your offer to a five-year-old, probably not going to work. But the flip side, and I can speak on this because I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old right now, is that there are some things, they're just not going to get it. Um, they understand biting, hitting things that are wrong, but like they just can't get over themselves. And we are adults, right? And we have learned to control our biting and hitting behavior <laughs> for the most part, right? And I feel like we have this culture of sweep it under the rug and not knowing how to model or make proper amends. And one of you wrote a very fun title. What is it? The monster and the, with the amends in the title? Oh, anxiety monster and man child make amends. That's a TV show that I, it's a very, it's like my most deeply personal story. Like it's a very deeply personal story about my relationship with my father and like, it's a recovery story and it's Yeah. So yeah, that's the title of a TV show that I have in development. Powerful, but just the hook on that, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the hook on that. And also that conversation about making amends, especially when we might be in a state of say anxiety or yeah. depression, you know, 40% of Americans are diagnosed or undiagnosed with some sort of mental illness right now. So this yeah. is like, mm -hmm. what are people actually bringing, especially when they can't see themselves It's powerful. Oh, thanks. I have to say that's something McCall and I really value. It's like a shared value in ours in storytelling. And that like, even as you're saying this, so much of our news and our TV and our politicians are modeling terrible behavior and a terrible dialogue. It's bullying. It's 
pedantic, it's aggressive, it's so mean-spirited, and this is seeping out into the deeper culture. Mm -hmm. So we've chosen a storytelling form that is supposed to be engaged by many people. And we've really talked about the market is saturated with murder shows (laughs) and serial killer shows. (laughs) And we're like really committed and telling stories about complicated people, but trying at least always to have characters who, even if they're messing up, even if they're not doing it right, are on the journey of trying to figure out what it means to be a good person. Yeah, there's no villains in our story because that's not really how the world, I mean, okay, there are a few, you know, I will not name names of politicians that definitely feel like cartoon villains to me because it's not worth saying their names, but that's also the public persona of what you know. You don't actually know, like most people are not villains because we are living in these, we're doing a series of good actions or a series of questionable or bad actions. And so, yeah, it's worthy to explore the nuances of what it means to be human. And those stories are not only relevant, but so important. And they can be equally dramatic to these stories that have like these dire circumstances where you're exploring the headspace of a serial killer. But why do we need to spend our energy on that? It's not serving the world. Yeah. We want to tell stories that help shift consciousness because that's what the world needs. It's from a storytelling standpoint, that's you know, I want to make films that help shift consciousness. I don't want to make films because I'm interested in hearing myself speak, or I want to just be the center of the world. I want to tell stories that help people find more connection. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise it's just so ego-based and uninteresting. It's so uninteresting. So, okay. So the title unpacking and also the idea of the retreat, I'm curious, your own personal development journeys and how you, I mean, obviously being in LA, knew it was a thing. Have you been on a retreat like this? Did you have friends who'd done something like this? Had you done your own, you know, Tony Robbins workshop? What was your own personal for each of you? Because I'm sure the whole group brought something in, but as the directors and producers, what was your own personal journey and also getting you maybe to the place of recognizing, wow, I want to help shift consciousness because you've had your own experience of shifting consciousness. Guessing. It's like a big question, right? Yeah. (laughs) So I never went on a retreat like this. I've never done that, but I have traveled extensively in a different way from these retreats, which I think has brought about a lot of growth in my life. And I have engaged in different things like yoga workshop and women's leadership programs for a weekend and, you know, going to the meditation center. And I've tried out a lot of different spaces in much shorter forms to see what would speak to me. And I think something we also talked about, McCall and I both have had a journey in the 12 step step space and that is community motivated. And that is, requires a lot of self-examination and openness and connection. And so while I hadn't done, yeah, a, a treat this, there were many parts of my life that I had dabbled in and developed from that felt worth exploring. And I also think because I'm a pretty friendly person and so is McCall that we also wanted to explore the space of people that aren't naturally finding that community. What are the spaces now in our society for them to do that? Because our generation does not attend churches, et cetera, in the same way. So, and there's such a need for community and spiritual exploration. And the wellness world has risen up to be like, offer offer endless things for you to explore this, which is problematic in its own way, but which is also like, there's endless options to explore and find your own way and uh, find a teacher that works for you and find a practice that works for you and find a community that's interested in a similar path and journey. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, similar 
everything that Alexander said. And also, yes, I've never been on a retreat like this, but I have been to drama school. (laughs) (laughs) I think as a creative, you just go to, you kind of do explore some strange self things in going to being a creative, taking workshops or being in classes. And then yes, certainly I think largely as a creative, I think it's because I've hit so many walls with what I want versus the reality of what is that I, at a certain point realized the only thing I really did have control over was myself. And so I have really as a largely spurred as a creative, like a desire to become a better person. And so I just have spent the last at least 15 years, I would say on like a real journey of self-discovery and self and kind of healing my own childhood trauma and just trying to figure out what are my character defects and what are the things that I need to work on. And so it wasn't like one single thing that led to shifts, but just lots of books and workshops and classes and meditations and self-work to kind of evolve and become the person I am still growing to become that were inspiration for this. Also, the woman who played Alice and I, we went to drama school together and we had a mask workshop with a teacher that used Balinese masks. And so that particular scene, those the series of scenes that are in the film were loosely inspired by, you know, or partially inspired by the mask workshop that Katie and I did like for a whole semester in drama school. I love it. There's a quote I really like, when the leader gets better, everyone gets better, right? Mm, mm-hmm. And I think like part of it, another paradox I was thinking about as you all were talking is and I'm referring to her as the villain antagonist, right? But essentially they become the leader. And when you're, I do a lot of backcountry, right? But when you're on a backcountry trip, the slowest person, you have to go that slow then. When you're paddling in the boat, if one person doesn't have the same strength and you pair them with someone with super strength, your boat's going to keep going in circles. Right. You have to ask this person to Paddle a little, a little more gently, even though you've got the big mm-hmm. muscles. And can you pull it up a little more? Or we have to rebalance the weight as the leader. And I think just like as a final takeaway, the work you do on yourself, right? In leadership roles. And then whatever happens when you put your work out there with the group, mm-hmm. whatever anybody does, you keep coming back to looking in the mirror. Like, how am I doing? How am yeah. I showing up? You know, and not in a selfish way, but in a way where you're being of service, like to the world, to the shift of consciousness. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. So I love hearing a little more about your personal stories and how they brought you to this space of producing really great art. I mean, you've brought uh-huh. this incredible piece of art into the world. And I wanted to just share like <laughs> the funniest moment for my husband and I it has to do with the conversation around the crystal. <laughs> Yeah, everyone loves that scene. There are several several moments, but without giving it away, just some of the humor around crystals and crystal energy. And then where do you put the crystal and what might you have done with that crystal? crystal (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I just loved the gritty, but also real world connections you put together in this film. It was super powerful. And again, the humor, because humor, it like cuts like a knife to what's really, really going on each of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is. It's like, love hearing that. But yeah, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you're probably not doing it right. 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 (laughs) And comedy was so important to us. So important. Well, and I think also, you know, like whatever gifts we're born with, right? And then the things that come along and that we work on and cultivate and so on. I think we all have something here to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so beautiful. And you did such an amazing job. You know, the other thing that we found really funny was there's only one guy, right? I mean, with the exception yeah. of the cab driver, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's one one me, main character guy, yeah. Makes me so happy, he does. And I won't say anything more to <laughs> give it away. But except to say, like, again, the humor around sex and around money, you know, the two things we don't talk about, right? (laughs) When you get a bunch of ladies together at some point, 
we will start talking about these things that we're not talking Absolutely. about, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. we will begin to heal in the conversation, which is why I think sharing of these stories is so important because you change your story, you change your life, you know, like that's how it works. But so many people just stay so stuck. So I can't wait to see what you all do next. If people want to see this film or anything else you want to offer for next steps to connect with you all or sponsor your next great feature or (laughs) what, what would you like to offer our audience? Oh, we're screening at a number of festivals coming up. So we are still, we're still seeking distribution. We have a sales agency that's actively working us on getting on a streaming platform or having some sort of limited release, but connections reach out. (laughs) Yes, for sure. If you're hearing this and you're like, I want to sponsor their next project, then by all means reach out (laughs) or this one, but there are a number of opportunities for audience in different parts of the world to see this film coming up. We are screening- Yes, we are screening at a number of festivals just this month alone. We're screening in Vienna as the closing night festival at the Reactor Film Festival, where we just won Best Ensemble, which is really exciting, uh, on Monday night. Um, And you can come to, uh, if you go to unpackingmovie.com or follow us on Instagram at unpackingmovie, uh, you can learn all the details of this. Then after the film festival in Vienna, we're screening outside of Boston area in Worcester, Massachusetts on the 22nd of this month. We're screening on the 23rd in Philly. We are screening on the 26th in Richmond, Virginia. And we're screening on the 30th in San Angelo, Texas, and the 1st in Keene, New Hampshire. So those are all our upcoming festivals. And they're probably likely, hopefully will be more coming up in the months ahead. So yeah, that's, you can learn more and hopefully within the next year or so, you know, maybe sooner, hopefully we will be on a streaming platform where everyone can see this. Fascinating. It's just fascinating to the journey of the physical space festivals, which are so amazing, which we were all greatly deprived of for so much time. Yeah. Hunger for getting creatives together in space and the connections Mm -hmm. that happen after the film, where you can feel the tears in the audience. You can feel the movement Mm -hmm. with great art. And it's different when you're streaming. And it's It's so different. It's so different, but also how incredible that we can all connect. I'm here in Teton Valley, Idaho. You're in New York City. You're in Los Angeles. And that people can stream and still connect with great art and heart wherever they are. Amazing, right? Yeah, it is. Thank you, Kat. Hey, well, it has been a sheer pleasure. I want to thank you all so much. And my winged tiger. (laughs) 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 Well-kept dog. (laughs) (laughs) It has been such a joy. But thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast. And Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Incredible art. You all are amazing. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the time has come for us to end this podcast episode. Thank you so much for listening. You listened all the way to the end. I appreciate you. And if you loved this podcast, please share it with a friend. Drop me a review. We all love five stars. But any stars, any feedback is welcome as a guest in the guest house of Rumi's poem, which you can find in my virtual workshop on catcaldwellmyers.com. We'd love to see you there if you want to continue the party and have an adventure.